welcome to episode 26 of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Matt Hancock's shredded documents mega warehouse, it's Dr. Lequescence. How are you doing, Doc? Um, I'm doing very well. Um, I haven't had this much fun since the Iranian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my hobbies um, from when I was a very small boy um, was taking shredded documents or torn up documents and sticking them back together with sticky tape. Yes, yes. I, I, I remember. Um, such is my enthusiasm. I, I, I remember the first time that we met, you lured me back to your bedroom and I thought. That, that, that you're going to do terrible, terrible things to me with, with, with one of your many tentacles. But instead, you just proudly pointed at your wallpaper, which seemed to consist of nothing but strips and strips of shredded documents banded together by cheap sellotape. Explain yourself, sir. Well, I apologise for the cheap sellotape. Um, when I got... Um, a little more financially secure, and uh, I was able to make some investments. Um, I invested in a company which makes much better sticky tape, so mm. I, I, I do work with much better sticky tape now. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, just, just one of my unending passions has been where, wherever it is in the world that some documents need piecing, some shredded documents need piecing back together and reading. Um, I, I I just tend to take myself off there and 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 and, and do that work for a little while. It's very meditative, um, <laughs> very peaceful. Um, it's one of the few jobs I can do with all fourteen um, of my prehensile appendages at once. <laughs> yes, but it, 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 um, very very efficient at the task, I imagine. Well, yeah, because I mean, for instance, with um, six of the nine tentacles that come out of my face. Um, I can hold six different strips of paper, mm. move them up and down and line them up. Um, and then with um, two of the appendages that um, emerge from where human beings have their intestines, mm. um, then I can sort of unreal the sticky tape and, and, and start to put them back all together. So uh, thanks to Matt, Matt Hancock, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just not going to be bored for conceivably weeks and months from now. I must say... You know, you look, because listeners, we do this over Zoom. I can see the doc's hideous, hideous countenance. You look zen as fuck. I've never seen you this happy, doc. Um, yeah, and the fact is that there, there are some rodents beginning to encroach on me now, mm. which also leads me to believe that um, that, that, that my um, my rank feta is, is, is possibly dispersing as well. Um, maybe as I become more relaxed and my metabolism slows down, the rate of decomposition um, of my cells um, is actually beginning to slow up as well. Because, uh, I mean, you, you can see me, you can't smell me. Um, and as my occasional co-worker, um, as my occasional co- uh, co-worker, Professor Malodorous, um, has commented on more than one occasion, you know, when, when a man named... Professor Malodorous says to you, God, you stink. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You're in trouble, aren't you? You know you're in trouble then, at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, as long as I keep the fresh meat going down at least one of my esophaguses, 
um, I can keep replacing cells faster than they decompose. Can I can I ask you a question, Doc? And 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 please don't be offended. Please don't be offended by it. Do, do you ever worry about just how grotesque you are? Um, I made peace with it long ago. <laughs> um, so um, I um, I had body image problems for a while. Um, and um, as you know, I conducted numerous experiments in the jungles of Southeast Asia um, and parts of South America. Um, and I, I, I got reasonably good at, at, at hollowing out human beings. Um, to um, to make um, articulated flesh suits out of sure, um, <coughs> but the, we've, we've all heard of those. Time we've all life. heard of those articulated flesh suits. Of course, we all know what that is. There comes a time in your life when um, you have to learn to look in the mirror and love what you see. You have yes. to learn to dance naked. Listen, um, listen, listen, Doc. We, we, we've been we've been friends now for the best part of thirty years. I don't care what you look like. We, 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 we're friends to, to, to the grave, so don't worry about it. Listen up. We, we've got a really big episode coming up. So what do you, what do you reckon? Should we, should, we, I know. Should, should we crack into it or, or not? We, first of all, though, of course, we've got to do our topic. Are you ready? Now, listeners, the doc never knows what I'm going to ask him at this point of the episode. Um, are you ready for the topic of the week? Yeah, um, I should also point out that one of the reasons Mo likes doing this over Skype um, and or over video conferencing means um, and not in person um, is that if we're in the same room, um, he never quite trusts me um, to insert a tentacle into his anus and read his mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you've um, tried it before. The first time it was painful. The second time pleasurable. The third time, I thought it was just so decadent I could never do it again for fear of utter, utter addiction. Um, you know, it, it, what a sensation! What, what a sensation that was! And I thank you for it, sir. Um, here's the topic. Here we go. Um, songs that would make good metal covers. I'm looking for three, Doc. If you can think of them, I've got three. But I, of course, I have the advantage of prepping this in advance yeah I'm, I'm going to struggle quite a bit with this yeah um because um generally speaking met, metal is is, is is quite a separatist form of music things that are not th- things that were not designed to be metal don't translate very well to metal and things that were yeah um so I'm, I'm going to struggle with this quite a bit while I think. Could you hit me with your first one? I'll hit with the first one. Here we go. It's a Sin by the Pet Shop Boys. Um, I think it is really, really symphonic. Um, there's like an epicness to it. The melody is awesome. Um, it's got a driving beat throughout. I can easily imagine... Um, a band like, I don't know, Children of Bodom or even Dimuborgia pulling that off as a metal variant of that yeah. song. I, I can see... So something, something Scandinavian, something very um, uh, very synthesizer-led and, yeah. and, and, and very excessively dramatic. Um, Correct. I'm... I'm still really, really struggling quite a bit. That's all right. Um, because 
um, I, I can't help but every song um, I sort of try and pass out of my list of tens of thousands of songs that I must have heard during my life, there's a horrible danger here um, of things falling into the novelty, uh, novelty metal cover. I get that. Um, I do get that. Like, like Lawn Mower Death doing, was it Kids in America? Like, yeah, Kids awful, in America. awful, um, awful. Yeah, I, I understand your point of view. Shall, shall I give you track number two and see if this, see if this gives you some inspiration? In fact, I yes, think please. you came up with this concept before I did, and I've just never forgotten it. Um, and that is, who are just a little bit by Gina G. In the style of bolt thrower, surely, no doubt about it. Play it um, slower, yeah, double uh, strum the melody, and you have got yourself a war metal fucking slammer, in my opinion. Well, um, that one works. Um, I was there when the idea was brought about. Um, I think it's a great idea. Um, and it's only because um, it is basically um, a bolt throw track um, in a slightly pop idiom um, and with sappy lyrics. Yes. Um, so, um, all right then, I have one. Good. Um, and I think we may have come up with it. Um, also in the style of Bolt Thrower, End of the Road by Boys to Men. Oh, can, can you hum it for me, Doc? Um, uh, well, um, I, my, my, I, I don't have nearly such a good voice as any of the members of Boys to Men, but um, the, it, it's, it's, it, um, it's largely um, closely harmonised a cappella. Um, and if I remember correctly, the main intro part goes something along the lines of... Like that. But, but then imagine that with... Like double bass underneath it. Slow yeah. it down, slow it down, make it heavy as fuck, and just underneath it. I'd listen to it, Doc. No yes. doubt about um, it. And obviously, obviously, both both guitars playing the same melody, um, but a flat fifth apart. It's a flat fifth. It's got to be a flat fifth. No doubt about it. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I like it. I love it. I love it. I love so, it. Shall um, I give you? Shall I give you my, my my track number three and see if you can think of a second one in the meantime? Yeah. Here we go. I'm thinking Insomnia by Faithless. I think a maiden version of this would absolutely rip it up. Bruce's crooning all over the melancholic intro, and then. Dave and Adrian go wild yes. as Nico drops the beat. It's honestly, as Kevin Keegan once said, I would love it. I would love it. What an excellent idea. Mm. Um, my number two, um, and um, I'm going to say, You Made Me Realise by My Bloody Valentine, done in the style of primitive Norwegian black metal. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason it, it's it's not very much of a push. Um, all you would have to do, I think, is to speed up the drumming 
um, or double up on the bass drum um, and scrape the middle out of the guitar sound. Yeah, no, you're quite um, right. Different vocals, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, I, 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 I don't think um, Belinda Butcher's breathy cooing um, would, would, would go very well with it. Um, but um, so try to imagine that being done in the style of Emperor. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's a very big push to imagine it. Um, so you've left me with, uh, yeah, um, you left me with another one now. Um, and honestly, I'm struggling very, very badly. Don't um, worry. If you can't think of one, that you know, I dropped it on you. There's no shame in it, Doc. I had plenty of time to think to sure. get my three. Um, if it occurs to me before the end of the episode, um, mm. I'll bring it up as a um, a pre-facto pre addenda. Yeah, that's a good idea. In part four of the show, if if something occurs, we'll we'll drop it in there. Are we ready to get on with this? By the way, because boys and girls, today. We're talking about quite a big song in the Slayer back catalogue. None other than Angel of Death. Um, should we crack on? Yeah. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to, and generally just get on down. As previously mentioned, this week's song is the first track from Slayer's third album, Rain in Blood, called, you all know it, Angel of Death. Let's go. <laughs> The most iconic scream in metal history. What do you reckon? Um, I mean, it, it's it's up there with one of the two or three other um, iconic screams in um, in metal history. Um, it was never actually preceded with the phrase "scream for me, Long Beach." Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> um. We've got a ton of stuff going on in those first 15 or 20 seconds now, haven't we? <clears throat> um, so let's rewind a bit and, 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 and consider the, the, the preconceived wisdom or what, what we know or what we believe we know. And fundamentally, this is, um, according to everything we understand, this is the album and more to the point, this is the track where the slayer that we know and love in the future starts. Correct. Isn't it? I agree. We're, we're, with the odd exception, the occasional song, I, I would cite Chemical Warfare, Necrophiliac, Moments in Hell Awaits. But in general, yes, I agree with your thesis. Yeah. Um, so in those first five seconds, um, well, in those first 15 seconds, um, we are left in no doubt as to what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. um, there is... No quarter given, no compromise whatsoever. Um, the speed is there, the precision is there, the aggression is there. Um, 
And what's interesting to me is it sounds like um, the final burial of the Halford whale mm-hmm. um, in in the Slayer Irv. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts off with the Halford whale, um, and then it degenerates into something much nastier and much more unpleasant to listen to. That's very interesting, Doc. Do you think that was a deliberate decision to include like priestian notions, almost as like like the final nail nail in the coffin? This is. The, Motherfuckers, yeah. this is the last time we're going to do this. Enjoy it while, it while it lasts, because we're done. Yeah, I yeah. absolutely think it was a conscious choice. Yeah, very, very interesting. the meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die. Slow death, immense decay, shower the cleanse of your life. They've ramped up the level of fury, haven't they, here? There's no doubt about it. This is much more furious than anything we've heard previously. His voice, the intensity on the guitar, the drum work, everything is just amped up that extra 10%. Yeah, and in your opinion, um, what is it that does that? Um, Immediately, I feel like um, the recording engineer or the producer they're working with um, at this moment has finally got the idea of Slayer. Um, there's so many things coming to... There's, there's so many pathless tracks and parallel tracks and divergent tracks on the previous two albums that seem to converge perfectly and seamlessly in the first 20, 20 or 30 seconds of this track. Yeah. Um, what is it about those first 20 or 30 seconds? Like, what do you think it is that makes it sound suddenly so much more intense? I think you make a very, very valid point when you reference the producer, you know, that suddenly they are not with Metal Blade, which is, you know, you know, all power to them, a low budget um, record label. Suddenly they're with, they're with Def Jam, I believe. And, and, and now producing them is the mighty Rick Rubin. And I, and I think, I think that's the, you know, that's, that's the grease in the wheel. That, that, that makes that cog turn significantly faster. So um, that, that's a really interesting point, which I was going to bring up later, but since you brought it up now, we'll talk mm. about that. Um, Def Jam um, were, at this particular time in history, um, I will stick my neck out and say, regardless of genre, um, the record label in the world that were most willing to go out on a limb and embrace extremity. Um, but with decent production values mm, mm. Um, and with a decent budget. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're stable um, at that time. Their cash cow um, were uh, beloved Daily Mail baiters, the Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. uh, and who, who, who offended quite a few people. Um, they had comedy albums, well, they, they, they had spoken word albums um, by Andrew Dice Clay, who was also mm-hmm. fairly well known for offending quite a few people. Sure. Um, their other sort of star act um, was Public Enemy, who yes. also managed to offend quite a few people. Of course. Um, and then you have Slayer. So, I mean, you've got one, two, three, four headline acts at the front of your label. And the peculiar thing is that 
I would imagine a quarter of their audience would be pissed off by by approximately a quarter of their material. Yes, it's interesting isn't it? because you know the the the, the four turns that you mention are, are all distinctly different genres. You know, um, we have well, I suppose Beastie Boys are the curio there because they they are kind of a a rock rap kind of mashup, I suppose. Um, but you know, take those out of out, out of the equation. You have like a full on thrash band. You've got spoken word, edgy comedian. I mean, I mean, you know, Dice Clay is notorious for being absolutely, absolutely brutal and uncompromising in his comedy. And then the mighty Public Enemy. What a roster! What a roster of talent. Yeah, um, and that's pretty much um, all run by one guy. Um, Rick Rubin had um, some. I kind of some support um, with the business of managing a record label, um, but it it was it was basically him. Yeah. Um, and um, I've I've read articles about um, when he first started producing hip hop records. Um, he was very well aware of the fact that hip hop was largely listened to in people's cars, and he didn't have a very good car with a very good stereo. Um, so he would find someone on his block with a booming car with a banging stereo. And he would go up to his bedroom studio and mix a track and bring it back down on a cassette and get someone to play it in their car. Mm. And he'd get their opinion. If it and if it didn't sound like it banged in the car, then he'd take it back upstairs and, 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 and remix it again. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think what you've got is, is, is a producer engineer um, who is, um, because he was a fan, um, and he was someone who was at live shows all the time and who listened to this stuff all the time. Um, had a very keen ear for um, mixing things and producing things for the equipment that they were likely to be used to listen to them. Very interesting. So so he, he's tailoring the music to make sure that it sounds as good as possible where most people are going to be actually consuming the product. I th- I think that's exactly true, yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, we've said this before. Like many people, we we encountered this album, first of all, on inexpensive cassette Walkmans with very cheap headphones. Sure. Um, and um, I suspect that Rick Rubin might not have actually copied it onto a cassette and listened to it on a cheap Walkman, but I get, I, I, I bet you he had a, I, I bet you he did not have expensive studio headphones mm. to mm. mix this on. I bet you he had cheap shit headphones like the ones that we had and sure. put a lot, a, a, a lot of effort into making it sound good in that medium. Yeah, yeah. Should we press on, Doc? Is it here the next 30 seconds yeah. or so? Here we go. Here we go. Need to look down. March of the kingdom of the dead. Sedition. of the mind. I mean, they just mean business, don't they? They've turned up. This is album number three. 
We've suddenly got a decent record contract. We've suddenly got a bit of money behind us. You know, we've got a really good producer. We're just going to turn it up and we're going to, we're just going to show the world what we can do. And yes, we are here to scare your children. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, in the hands of a lesser band, it would sound like not slowing down because you lacked confidence or not slowing down because you don't dare to slow down. Um, with this track, um, Slayer just turn up um, and, and and make a song that demonstrates they have nothing to prove anymore. Mm. They spent years on the road. They paid their dues. Um, they can pull big crowds by themselves. They can sell modest to respectable numbers of records by themselves with no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you, you almost want to sort of, if, if this album um, had been subtitled something like, this is what we came here for, mm. um, you wouldn't necessarily be surprised, would you? No, 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 you're quite right. You know, it's just, you know, just the general ramping up of intensity over two albums. And now, and that, you know, now we've hit the third album, we, you know, we, 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 we're really, get, really, really going to show you what we're all about. Um, and of course, you know, this isn't even the fastest or most intense track on the album. Many people consider it the best track on the album. I'm not sure I quite agree with that controversially, but, but it is definitely not the fastest track on the album. But by God, it's fast enough, isn't it? It certainly is. Mm. Um, this is honestly... Um, and we'll see what happens when, when, as, as we make our way through this album. Um, this pace is just about as fast as I want my metal to go. Yeah. Um, we'll see what happens later on, mm. but this is pushing the outer limits of how fast I want my metal to go. Um, okay. So let's listen to a bit more. That'll be sure. Fun. Here we go. <laughs> tell you what they've just decided that's enough speed now we're going to drop some fucking groove on your asses too um yeah and um is there a more morbid harmony than those two lead lines playing Uh together in the early part of that clip it's absolutely fantastic something i really really love about this doc about this section this track is written by jeff hanneman the lyrics the music it's it's jeff hanneman's baby Mm -hmm. But the guitarist who plays that lead line is Kerry King. So when you see them live, he gets centre stage at that point. You know, everything stops. And it diddly, 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 diddly. that's Kerry King playing that. I, I love that so much because yeah. I'm sure we've mentioned it before. It, it, it just demonstrates just such a total lack of ego between the two guitarists. I think, it's, I think that's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, I mean, in in theory, um, 
what you're suggesting is that um, Jeff wrote that part and then effectively gave it away for another man to play. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, like, it's like a footballer. You know, it's like Harry Kane being offered the penalty and saying, "Oh no, don't worry, son. You know, you you, you take it." That never that would never happen. But here, that's exactly what that's exactly what's taking place. Um, and um, I think it was the correct decision as well because it, it's it's. It's got a it's got a kingly morbidity. To it. It's it's got a certain Kerry <laughs> King quality to it that um, I I don't think I don't think anyone else can quite pull off. I can't describe it very easily. I hope to be able to define what 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 the kingly morbidity is um, <laughs> by, by by the end of this album. Um, <laughs> the, there's, there's something about his tiny his his, his tiny microternal bends um, that he puts into the notes. Um, and his cadences, and the way he plays very, very slightly off rhythm. Mm. Um, and it's almost like he's been able to get good without losing the parts of his playing that were really effective when he wasn't so good. Does that make sense to you? It totally does, yes. You know, you know what you're suggesting is, and I think it's true of his soloing as well, there's almost like a like a like a sloppiness built into the expertise. Yeah. Um, so my imagination that of, of the sort of the, the, the life journey of, of, of Kerry King, a guitarist, um, is that when he was little and he got his first guitar and, and like everyone else, couldn't play very well. But when you're learning, you hit on cool ideas. Yeah. Um, you just do because you, you've, you've got this plank in your hand um, and it makes noise. And what do you do? You make lots of noise with it. And most of it is unlistenable and horrible, but sometimes you'll hit on a cool idea. Yeah. And the better you get um, and the more practiced you get, that childish intuition gets trained out of you. And I think what it is that makes Kerry King unique um, is that he's managed to keep a handle on that slightly childish, slightly naive approach to to playing guitar or to his art, even though he's much better than he used to be, and even though he obviously very, very clearly can play in time and play in tune, um, he's been able to keep that part of his brain that enables him to, I guess, switch that side of himself off and still just come up with cool ideas yeah. or um, tune, tune, tune a bit of the unskilled amateurism back into it. Mm. And I think that's why he doesn't, quite sound like anybody else and nobody else however hard they try can quite sound like him no you're right no you're absolutely correct let's press on here we go go together Tony heads just a matter of time till you rip yourself apart millions lay out in their crime too sending ways to achieve the holocaust Wide awake nightmare with the pain Reach out for you 
So I, I, I let that run longer than usual because nothing really changes. We've still got the groove. Tom's kind of demented vocals over the top. And, you know, it's about to go bonkers. Um, but, you know, as for, you know, people talk about it like a middle eight. I can't think of a better kind of middle section of a song than that section that we've just heard. I just, you know, the confidence of it, the groove, I keep saying the word, but there is no other word for it, the groove that's there. And, you know, of course, we have to remember this, this predates any kind of new metal bollocks by about 12 years, um, maybe 10 years, you know. Um, but, but, but they managed to capture the groove and keep the intensity and keep the ferocity and keep the, the, the heaviness and the darkness. You know, they don't, they don't compromise. Doc, it's just awesome. I, I, I could be really, really boring in this episode and just keep saying it's awesome because that's what I think. Um, I think you're spotting something um, that other people persistently miss. Um, so we, we, we spoke about Rick Rubin and Def Jam a little mm. earlier on, um, and you talked about groove. Um, I have got no idea how much influence Russell Simmons had over this recording, but Russell Simmons was Rick Rubin's business partner um, right. in Def Jam. Mm -hmm. The impression I get is that Russell Simmons was very much a um, a, a, a father figure or a, 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 an older brother or an older cousin figure to Rick Rubin. He'd been around the business longer. Um, he knew the shadier corners of New York City better than Rick Rubin did. Um, but the important thing is that um, Russell Simmons had his own label um, called uh, Original Black Productions. And Russell Simmons, I think, considered Def Jam um, to be a, a, a black music label. Right. Um, I think he considered it to be a soul, funk, swing beat label. Mm. Um, but for the next generation. And if, if, you're hearing, if you're hearing some soul and funk and groove, come out in Slayer of all people. Mm. I don't think that's surprising at all when you've got a father figure like Russell Simmons, maybe calling him on the sessions, um, maybe giving the guy some advice. I mean, I, I, I can really imagine Russell Simmons being that kind of hands-on person. You know, he'd just say something like, that's funky, you should groove on that. Um, don't, 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 be so, don't be so tight asked about it. Swing with it, roll yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah, because there is kind of a real kind of almost like looseness to Dave's playing in that section, isn't there? You know, it really flows. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, there's fluency without tight control um, in, 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 in Dave's in Dave, in Dave's beats during that whole midsection. In a way, that's like another step in Mr. Lombardo becoming becoming a master of his craft. Mm -hmm. um, he's got the speed, he's got the precision, he's got... Um, I, I can't remember um, who it was that said, the second most difficult thing about learning to play the drums is getting tight. The most difficult thing is learning how to get loose. Oh, that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, yeah have, having the... The proficiency to be impeccable and then knowing when just to relax a little bit. That's right, yeah. Yeah, really, really um, interesting. Another, so, 30, another 30 seconds or so, Doc, what do you reckon? I think so, yes. Here we go.
Oh my God! I mean, I mean, where do you begin? They are just ripping it up. I remember Tommy Vance, the um, erstwhile um, BBC, maybe Radio One, I can't remember, rock DJ. At that point, he kind of, he, he did exactly what I did. He paused the record, and he said, "Incredible to believe." Some people just believe this is wild, uncontrolled noise coming out of an amplifier. Never, never have truer words been spoken. That man was 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 full of sagesse. Well, it's it's challenging in the most meaningful and adult sense of the word, isn't it? Um, if you've got any appreciation for real musicianship, the ability to write a tune, the ability to play well. Um, you will get that. If you don't, then it will sound like a horrible noise. Yeah, just a racket. Um, I have no recollection of my um, response to this the first time I heard it. Okay. I strongly suspect I didn't like it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things that um, I think if you have any appreciation for music of any kind, you might not like it on first listen. But you'll want to go back and what what was that all about then? Like what 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 exactly was I hearing there? Um, because there's there's so much going on. Um, even in that last thirty seconds, I think it takes a dozen listens just to be able to pass what it is that you've just heard. Oh, certainly. I don't know. I definitely did not like this the first time I heard it. I didn't like it. That's a strange choice of words. I just didn't understand. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But I knew there was something about it, some kind of inimitable quality in it that made me just keep going back, keep going back. And maybe it took me, yeah, maybe you're right, maybe 10 or 12, 10 or 12 go-arounds before suddenly I could start to piece it together um, and start to understand what was happening. Um, I think... This was the first Slayer album that I heard. Um, <clears throat> and it really baffled me. And I think in the meantime, as I, as I was trying to process it, I heard South of Heaven, which of course we'll come on to in, 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 in 10 or 12 weeks. Um, and actually listening to South of Heaven helped me to retrospectively make sense of this yeah, so um, there are precedents for this in all kinds of music as well. Um, there's a lot of modern, yeah, modern classical music, which is very, very heavily mutated European folk songs. Um, so transposed into different time signatures, played in different keys, sometimes uh, counterpointed against each other. Um, and it makes no sense when you listen to it for the first... Um, I had a similar reaction, I think, the first time I heard Mahler, uh, or maybe Dvořák, um, and I had no idea what was going on. And it's only when you, <clears throat> um, it's only when you get the means with which to deconstruct it. So, for instance, when you get to hear the original Central European or Eastern European folk songs um, that it's it's made up of mutant bits of, that it starts to make sense. Um, so. Immensely brave. Um, I think it's immensely brave of anyone to even think about making something this confrontational. 
Mm -hmm. um, it's immensely brave of anyone to put it on on the first album they're recording for their new label with presumably some expectations of them and some bills to be paid. And then to put it as the first track on that album. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think any other, at that time, at this time in history, I don't think any other label except for Def Jam um, would have even thought about doing that. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right. Should we, should we finish the track off, Doc? We've got about 20 seconds left. I think so. Here we go. So there we go, Angel of Death, track number one from Slayer's iconic album, Rain in Blood. I mean, Doc, I don't, I don't really know what to say, to be honest, because it is just so, so good. It, you know, it's, it's just hard not to speak in superlatives, and, and I will run out of superlatives at some point. I might, but it's going to be a good long time, and before I run out of superlatives... Um, I probably need to keep some in the tank for the rest of this album because a little while ago, uh, your, one, one, one of your earlier early in the episode challenges was um, for me to identify three albums that I thought were perfect. And at that point, I had to say that um, there was at least two I couldn't mention because we were actually going to be discussing them in depth during this series of podcasts. And mm -hmm. I, I, I think this is one of them, isn't it? Wow. This okay. Is just, this is one of of those perfect albums yeah 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 well i mean you know now that we're doing the, the kind of listening to with, with, with more more of like a critical dissecting ear you know maybe we will maybe we will discover some flaws but i don't know it, it, it's hard to imagine um should we go on to the lyrics doc what do you reckon welcome to part three of the show which we call evil speak here we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is generally screaming at us. So, here goes. The meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die, slow death, immense decay, showers that cleanse you of your life, forced in like cattle you run, stripped of your life's worth, human mice for the angel of death, 400,000 more to die. That's the first verse, Doc. Somebody has been teaching Slayer. How to write lyrics, I reckon. What do you what, what do you think, Doc? Well, once again, um, there's uh, something has happened mm. between the previous album um, and this because I mean, the, the, there isn't even a whiff of cheese. No, um, about this is there? No. Um, um, in the past, we, we've almost always been been able to find um, something. 
even if it's not intentionally humorous, something to smile about in yeah. Slayer's lyrics. Um, yeah. If you recall, one of our favourite things uh, has always been um, what, what, what I've referred to on occasion as Slayer's unintentional mildness. Which is... I like the expression, unintentional whimsy. Yeah. Um, so you can tell they've crouched over the notebooks and tried to come up with something as blood-curdling as possible, but they've made a tiny slip of syntax or something, yeah. and it, it, it does. It just comes out unintentionally whimsical. Uh, one of our one of our favourites was, um, and then we come back from the dead. <laughs> That's right. We, 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 we've just been shopping, and then we came back from the dead. Oh, good lord! Yeah, yes. you're, you're quite right. Um, but the, um, none of that here, is there? The, 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 no. Um, well, uh, the other one was, um, and I, I believe it was something about, and um, we'll get that one called Lord. Uh, you know, I, oh, I, I'm, um, I'm driving home past the end of his street. I'll, I'll, I'll stop by his house. I'll, I'll get that one called Lord. Don't worry <laughs> yeah, about you're it. You're quite right. Um, no, you are quite right. But not a whiff of that um, here. And, and in, in no. some ways, it's a bit disappointing because it's going to take some of the frivolity out of our dissection of the lyrics you know but but we can only deal with, with what's in front of us the use of the word Auschwitz as the first word I mean talk about instant provocation doc come on um is it a sign of maturity um because I mean there's you open your album with that word and suddenly there's no way in which it can be described as fun anymore is mm. there mm. um there's um Satanism can be fun. Well, in fact, Satanism is fun. Um, being a demon and hunting another <laughs> demon can be fun. It's cosplay. Um, You're talking about cosplay uh, at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, you know, given the right atmosphere and the right lady, necrophilia can also be fun. Of course. Um, but and uh, I, I need to rein myself in here because... I, I almost feel as though I shouldn't have to say it. Um, there's nothing remotely fun about the Holocaust now, is there? No, there's not. Have you been to Auschwitz, Doc? I seem to remember that you have. Yeah, um, I've been to a couple of different concentration camps. Um, the single one that upset me the most was uh, Spielberg um, in um, in Budenau. Mm. Um, and that was simply because um, it was actually... Um, still in use as a prison oh, um, for a long time afterwards. Yes, that's um, controversial. It was, liberated as, it, it, it was liberated as a concentration camp and it was immediately put back into service as, um, a, a, as, as a prisoner of war camp by the Soviets. Um, and then later on, it was put back into service as a civil prison. So, been to Berkenau, um don't intend to talk about it here for the reasons that everyone says which is that um, the words don't exist. Mm. I don't even know if I would advise people to go if they have the chance. Um, if you feel that your mental health is the equal of it. Um, what do you think about accusations of like Holocaust tourism? You know, that these places are... You know, I don't know where I sit with this stuff because I, because historically it's important and it's important for people to, you know, from my perspective, it's, it is important for people to visit these places 
um, you know, to, to remember because by remembering, we hopefully don't repeat the errors of the past. Um, I haven't been to Auschwitz, I haven't been to Birkenau, but I have been to the like the genocide museum in, in Cambodia and seen the killing tree where the Khmer Rouge would routinely smash babies' heads to death against the tree and throw them into a, into a, a mass grave alongside their mothers. So, you know, I've, I've seen comparable horrors, um, you know, or, or memorials of comparable horrors. But, th but there are some people well, that say that um, these places are kind of, you know, Holocaust porn. Atrocities on that scale um, have happened throughout history. Um, and um, I think if we bulldoze these places um, or, the, or allow them to rot beyond recognition, um, we're losing something of great historical importance, which is mm. that, um, for instance, that um, the barracoons, so the stockades where um, Africans were herded um, before being put on slave transports, there's no trace of those anymore. There aren't any left. All of the sites um, involved in the mass killings during the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward in China, um, those have all been... Um, assiduously removed and all trace of their existence. Um, we, we don't have, um, it's, it's kind of like dinosaur fossils. Um, we need to pay attention to these things and we need to curate them in a way. And I, we don't have very many examples of, uh, to, to pull out a cliche, um, these examples of man's, man's inhumanity to man. Um, we don't have many places where you can take people or where you can go and you can stand in the place and go, well, um, this isn't a museum. This isn't a dusty old photo book. This is actually where it happened. So correct me if I'm wrong about this. Um, obviously, Berkenau is a very, very large purpose-built facility in the Polish countryside, um, yeah. a few miles from the town of Auschwitz or yeah. Auschwitz. Yeah. Um, Tor Schlang, uh, I think I've got my, the, my pronunciation is probably not quite correct. Um, I think it's also referred to as um, re-education facility S21. Mm -hmm. um, um, Torschlang is basically a repurposed high school. Uh, and and it, from, from what I can work out, it looks like one. Like it looks like a typical government secondary school when you're going up the hill. And all of the rooms are still sort of recognizably World War I's classrooms. And they've got very hastily erected, um, very sort of crudely um, brickworked, cells built into them. Mm -hmm. Accusations of Holocaust pornography or concerns about Holocaust pornography are valid concerns and so are concerns about them being rallying points um, in the future. For instance, um, the administration of Tor Schleng has proved controversial um, by people in Cambodia who lost relatives, but not to the Khmer Rouge, because um, it's now considered to be a, here's a horrible mixed metaphor, a blanket bucket of whitewash, which is that um, all evidence of mass killings in Cambodia now um, is attributed to the Khmer Rouge. So yeah. whether the atrocities were committed by um, the Cambodian monarchy or whether they were committed by the French colonialists or whoever they were committed by, if you find a mass grave now, um, just chalk it up to the Khmer Rouge. Sure. 
Um, yeah. And a lot of people who did lose relatives in atrocities committed by the French or who did lose relatives in atrocities committed by the Cambodian royalists or who lost relatives in atrocities committed by um, the Americans or by the Vietnamese. All of that stuff is now being tied up. Um, so you have to be careful <clears throat> what these things are preserved as and what purpose they're put to. Yeah. Um, I would still say, because we have so little evidence, in the UK, we're really, really horrible about this. Um, for instance, um, Warwick Castle um, is run as a literal, actual tourist attraction. Um, it's an actual theme park. Um, and like small children can, can go and laugh at the real, actual torture chamber where people really were tortured to death. Mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> It's super complicated, isn't it? It 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 it, it is really is super complicated. I think I think we need to move on a little bit, Doc. You know because you know we we we, we kind of got hung up on the first word. Really, as important as, as that word is, I think I think we we do need to progress into the lyrics. If that if that's okay with you, um, we need to progress into the lyrics. But um, I mean, it, you start an album with that word and it yeah. has to be taken seriously sure. and yeah it it's 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 owed by us to take it seriously yeah um so the song is um as i assume everyone knows um about a fellow named joseph mengele yeah um who is a concentration camp doctor um in Bergkanal, and he's Associated, he, he's he's the personification of the program of um, medical experiments, um, in part sanctioned at the highest authority by the government of the Third Reich. Um, once again, many people will say that this is a little bit too pat. There are many people who claim that Joseph Mengele's experiments, many of them, were unauthorized. Um, we'll get a bit further on through the lyrics. There's a reference to "Can you survive the frozen water burial?" The um, the, the the freezing experiment um, was carried out by another Nazi doctor um, named Sigmund Rascher, mm -hmm. um, and it appears that if not that experiment explicitly, a number of the experiments that he conducted were um, for his own perversions and were never sanctioned by Nazi high command. Okay. I'm not trying to whitewash Nazis, folks. Um, it's another example of how I'm going to come to a positive note on this, by the way. Um, it's an example of how, if you're not very, very careful, a lot of these things can come off a little bit too pat. Mm -hmm. um, well, there's always and, nuance, isn't it? There, 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 there's always nuance. There are, all, there, there are always more complexities than makes for a good story. There are, and actually I was planning on saving this bit to the end as well, but it's become very, very relevant now. Um, and just in case anyone thinks that I'm accusing Slayer of making light of a very serious subject, if anyone thinks I'm accusing Slayer of blindly attributing everything to a gross oversimplification, um, I've really only got this to say. Um, there's at least three people, um, to my personal knowledge, um, who have no personal in, or who, who had no interest in studying the Holocaust um, until they heard this track. 
um, and the three people of my personal acquaintance who've gone on um, to study it privately, um, one of them um, at degree level, um, and one of them at postgraduate level at Tel Aviv University, mm-hmm. um, Curse of Slayer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally Curse of Slayer. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Um, Let's move on, Doc. Let's move on. It, 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 it's, it's such a heavy, heavy subject, isn't it? It's, it's kind of hard to, um, it is hard to move on because by moving on, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I don't know, disrespecting in some way, but that is not the intent. You know, we, we, you know, we, we, we've got an episode to do. We've got, you know, we've kind of got a run time to think of. So let, let's move on, Doc. Um, that line, showers that cleanse yeah. with your life. I mean, what a fucking image that is. It reminds me of the TV show V. I'm sure you remember V, Doc. You know, you're a sci-fi nerd, just like me. Of course um, I do. And <clears throat> there's, there's a brilliant sequence in V. Because, of course, V is, a, is you know, is a, not satire exactly, but you know, it takes inspiration from the Nazis in World War II. And, it, and there's a fabulous scene where, I, I, I think he's called Abraham, Forgive me if, if, if I've got that wrong, but I think he's got he's, a, he's an old Jewish guy, and he's talking. He he perceives what the what the aliens are. But for, for younger listeners, V was a was a science fiction show where aliens arrived on the planet apparently with peaceful intent, but of course that was not true, and they wanted to steal our water and use human beings for food. The way that they were dressed was very fascistic, very kind of Nazi. Nazi inspired. The, the, all the emblems were very, very, very kind of Nazi um, reminiscent. And this character Abraham just gives this wonderful speech. It, it's in broad daylight in the middle of the in the middle of the street, and he's talking to a character called I think it's a character called Daniel, and Daniel has joined the Visitor Youth organization. Obviously, a riff on the Hitler Youth. And this Abraham character, it makes me weep. It makes me cry every time I see it. He's, he describes to this Daniel character who is becoming kind of besotted by the, by the notion of this visitor youth. He, he's becoming a little bit drunk on power. Um, and he says, you know, you know remember, remember what happened before. Remember my wife. I can't quote exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but 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 the the heart of his message is there. They shaved her head, they stripped her naked, and they. Oh, I can't even say, Doc. I can't even get to the end of it. They shaved. Oh man, I'm not going to edit this. I'm going to keep it in because it's important. Um, they they shaved her head, they stripped her naked, and they walked her to the showers. The showers with no water. Man, man alive, Doc. It, it just it breaks me, man. Hmm. Um, the showers, um, I believe, um, the shower, the the, um, the gas chambers that were disguised as showers, I believe, were at Treblinka. Mm. Um, the operation at um, at Belkanal, um was a lot more pragmatic. There was no effort to disguise the fact um, that there were gas chambers. There are aerial photographs um, which were available when the concentration camp was in operation. Um, it's another 
point of contention um, that it was almost impossible, for instance, for British intelligence not to have seen these photographs. Yeah. They were probably taken by the Soviets and they were probably circulated to the British. Um, but there was um, quite literal Holocaust denial um, in progress uh, while it was happening. Um, and there was there was not even the slightest effort to um, trick people um, or convince people that they were going to be deloused. Um, the gas chambers were close enough to the residential blocks uh, that people knew precisely what they were. Um, they saw the people going in. They saw the dead bodies being um, taken out. The, um, the poison gas was introduced in the means of small white pellets, um, which were fed in through a hopper on the roof. So if you didn't mind running the risk of being caught looking, um, you could see a bunch of people go in um, every morning. Um, you'd see the small staff go up on the roof with a 40-gallon drum of Zyklon B pellets, mm. um, open a hatch in the roof and pour the pellets in. Um, and then after a little while, all the funny noises um, would start up. Then after a little while longer, all the funny noises would stop. Um, and then everything would go quiet for several hours until they opened the doors again. Um, and then they'd start handing out booze to the Sonder commander. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sonder commander were slave workers, they were trustees in the concentration camp, who had been given the quote-unquote privilege mm-hmm. of emptying the concentration camp um, in exchange for extra food and shitloads of booze, because the only way you could do a job like that is if you were stinking drunk, I would imagine. Were they, were, were, were they the equivalent of like the Uncle Toms during the, during the slave era? I think they were selected. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what criteria um, they were selected for. Mm. As you can probably imagine, they didn't have a very long service life. Um, and it was normally a matter of weeks or a couple of months before um, they went mad and ended up being shoved into a gas chamber themselves. Um, but that was okay. There was a new train load arriving every day. Were they, were they considered to be... Look, collaborators by their fellow prisoners. I don't know. You'd have to ask. Um, the fact is, I expect many of them took the job in the anticipation that if they did the most difficult, dirtiest, nastiest, most inhuman job of all, it might keep their relatives or their children a yeah. little bit safer for a little bit longer. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I mean, it's so it's so difficult to. Um, kind of pass any judgment isn't it you know in that kind of situation it really really is oh doc Doc, you've got coming to you're coming to the you're coming to the nature of totalitarianism here Mm. and it's um i I, i've I've got plenty of time later in 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 the series of podcasts to get on get around to talking around uh, about hannah arendt and full Um, But one of the points of a totalitarian regime is that it's valueless to rebel against it or to protest against it because it's organised in such a way that any one person can be easily replaced. If you protest, if you make some act of protest or say you're not doing this work, um, then all that happens is they kill you and get someone else. And they kill them and get someone else. Mm -hmm. And they'll find someone sooner or later. Yeah. They'll find people sooner or later who are willing to do the work for some extra food or for some extra booze or to keep their family out for a little bit longer. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, 
you might want to ask the question, well, isn't it always better to protest than not to protest? Mm -hmm. um, the horrible thing about totalitarianism in action is it doesn't matter. There is no better. There is no worse. Your yeah. protest and you are unimportant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and oh. the endless... The, the endless process of the way that totalitarianism works reinforces on everybody. Um, the more they get to witness this stuff, the more that everyone understands um, that they are not important. Yeah. I it mean, literally it, it, makes it, no difference whether you as an individual live or die. It, it is all so, so utterly, utterly, relentlessly bleak. Um, can, we, can, can we move on to verse two, Doc? Because I am, I'm, you know... I don't know. I, 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 I knew this was going to be a tough episode. Um, hmm. do, do, you, do you have anything else to say about the, the, the you know? The, the... Not in the first verse, no. Um, mm. Let's push on yeah. um, a bit more uh, because um, honestly, it doesn't get any happier. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. I know it does not. I know it does not. I'm sorry, sorry, listeners, you know, but, uh, you know, the, the, the subject matter is, is is so so uncompromisingly bleak. You know, there, there there are going to be emotions at work. Certainly on my part, I can't talk on the you know on behalf of the doc, but on my part, I, I, you know, I, I, maybe I am going to get upset from time to time. Um, here we go, verse two. Well, I'm I'm going to give the pre like the, like the like the break, and then I'm going to put verse two together. <laughs> Angel of death, monarch to the kingdom of the dead, sadistic, surgeon of demise, sadist of the noblest blood, destroying without mercy to, to benefit the Aryan race, surgery with no anesthesia, feel the knife pierce you intensely, inferior, no use to mankind, strapped down, screaming out to die. I don't find these lyrics quite as kind of profound and emotionally troubling to be honest even though it's you know of course you know just generally they are for me th th these aren't quite so quite aren't quite so troublesome what about for you doc it's ironic isn't it um and it's not even it's 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 far from the last time um on this album that the more grotesque slayer try to be um, the less emotionally affecting they end up being. Yeah. Um, I'm not immune to this stuff, by the way. I, I, I don't. I don't know whether I want people thinking I'm cold-hearted about this no. or not. Um, I've studied. Um, I've studied it over a very long period, um, and either forced myself or been forced through um, books and exhibitions and lectures, um, and I'm. I don't want to say I'm immune to it now, but um, repeated study and reading about the stuff. So I mean, um, reading the, the the definitive textbook um, on the subject, which is called "The Holocaust: The Jewish Tragedy," mm -hmm. um, was 
was an effort for me um, and took me took took me to some dark places. Yeah, uh, I, don't, um, I don't think anybody. But thinks, in, I, Doc, I, I don't think anybody listening, any, anybody intelligent listening, would 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 perceive you, you know you, you being you being able to speak about it on a, from an intellectual basis as being cold hearted. You know, you you the the reason we work so great together is you know you are my counterpoint. Um, you know, you you are you you know, you, especially when it comes to subjects to subjects like this, you are much more knowledgeable and versed in it, and you are much more studied it studied in it, and 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 therefore more kind of inured to, to the horrors than I am. Um, so you know, I, I I I I'm I'm kind of the the emotional child, and you are the you know professional academic. Any anybody that accuses you of being of, of being cold hearted simply does not know you, Doc. So don't worry about that. Sure. And I mean, it's maybe I have lost a little of my heart and soul along the way. Uh, but in the end, um, I, I, I made a decision that I'm, I'm either going to try to understand this stuff or else I'm not. Um, and understanding has only one meaning, which is understanding. And it, 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 it means forcing yourself through a lot of material that takes you to a lot of dark places. Yeah. And... Um, I think when you do that, you lose a, your soul along the way. Yeah. Um, and unwilling though you may be, you find yourself asking yourself questions like, well, what would I do? Um, mm. What would I do in that situation? Mm. Um, the verse we're looking at at the moment um, is obviously an explicit reference to um, one of the pieces of surgery carried out repeatedly by Joseph Mengele. Um, and the reason I think my previous bit of commentary um, is pertinent is because one assumes that this was something that Joseph Mengele did to himself. He appears to have been a fairly unremarkable um, town doctor um, who got this job. Um, and why do people turn into monsters? Um, why do people do anything? I don't think there was ever any particular suggestion that Joseph Mengele was a psychopath I don't think there was any particular um, broad acceptance of the fact that he was an anti-Semite. Um, I think a very large number of people he experimented on were Soviet POWs um, and not necessarily Jewish concentration camp inmates. I think he merely considered himself to be a scientist. I think he merely considered himself to be embarked upon a course of study. The fact that he wasn't practicing anything that resembles medical science um, is a different question. Um, and it's also a really, really serious question that we're going to have to come to sooner or later. And the question is, we may as well mention it now, um, has the research of Joseph Mengele and the other Nazi scientists, has that been repurposed in modern medical science? Mm -hmm. Um, which is like the ethical question of all ethical questions, isn't it? Um, we've got shelves and shelves and shelves full of these records and these photographs. What we're going to do with them? Yeah, yeah. Um, Almost, you know, the, the research had already been done. However terrible that was, we we might as well take advantage of it. Is that is that what you're suggesting, Doc? Um, well, yeah. I mean, nothing you do is going to bring these people back, mm -hmm. um, but. 
we've got this research that however ham-fisted and however shoddy the research was done, we've got this huge corpus of research about what happens when you inject people with poisons. Mm. What happens when you inject people with tropical diseases? Mm. What happens when you conduct open heart surgery? If I were in charge of collecting that research and deciding what had to be done with it, um, I would have to step, take a step back um, and say, I'm not the person to judge. This needs to be handed over to people who may or may not be able to make use of it. Certainly, yes. Um, I mean, morally dubious, ethically questionable, but kind of understandable at the same time, I suppose. If there has any, if there has been any worthwhile advances in medicine fallen out of the stuff, I doubt that anyone would would, would admit to it. Mm. Um, certainly there is no evidence that one scrap of research carried out by Sigmund Rascher or Josef Mengele or any of those people, there's no evidence that any of it ever proved useful. But if any of it did prove useful, no one would exactly go boasting about it now, would they? That's true. Let, let, let's get on to the little break section of lyrics here. says angel of death monarch to the kingdom of the dead infamous butcher angel of death now that word monarch is interesting what, what do you make of that that, that, that that's clearly been selected it, it's a strange word i think we talked about this during like the haunt haunting the chapel um track yeah. we were discussing that and that like, the choice of the word chapel was very interesting. I think the word monarch is very interesting here because, of course, a monarch is like a king or a queen. There's a sense of nobility to it. Is that, you know, where, where, accusation, where, where the accusations against Slayer, that they kind of glorify this stuff, it, is it just based on that single word? I think it was... I, I think it's enough for some people um, that they made a song about it. Yeah. Um, there are a great many people who don't even like this stuff being mentioned. Mm. Um, they're the same brand of blue noses who will complain about um, the world at war, the documentary series um, narrated by Laurence Olivier. Um, and they'll talk about that being unpatriotic um, because it says some painful truths about the actions of the allies during world war two. Sure. Um, there are some people who just don't even like the stuff being mentioned. Yeah. Um, there are some people who um, there are some people who think that mentioning it in the context of entertainment at all is merely pornographic. Yeah. I would have some sympathy with that statement, except for the fact that um, I have evidence um, and I know people who took a lifelong interest in Holocaust studies and went on to do serious academic research on that subject because of Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <coughs> it's a good point, Doc. Infamous butcher. Um, I mean, the, the, the well, way that can Tom's... Get that monarch of the... Oh, go on, Doc. Yeah, please. Yeah. I was going to say um, the monarch of the kingdom of the dead. Um, I think we're supposed to assume that uh, we're, we're supposed to to think of Hades, aren't we? I think um, so. I, you know, I'm, monarch of the kingdom of the dead. To me, the image that's conjured is you know a, a great throne in some kind of fiery pit of hell where there is some kind of demonic 
entity on the throne and before him, because it would be a he, before him is the army of the undead, basically. Yeah, and um, in classical mythology, um, that's very much the the impression you get of of, of what Hades um, and his his his, his quarter like. Um, mm. He's supposed to be a, a, a very withered figure, um, sometimes described as eyeless, um, mm. or possibly with his eyes sunken sunken back into his skull. Um, his 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 consort for six months of the year is Persephone, um, who is a, a human woman who he abducted. Um, and who's allowed to go up to the surface of the earth for six months a year. Um, and um, Ovid, I don't think, ever actually describes him as, as, as being in charge of a, 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 a literal army of the dead. But it's nice, with three sets of square quotes around it. It's nice to see um, a bit of continuity here. So from the very beginning, we, we've, we've identified this sort of Slayer cosmology um, yeah. that... Um, the dead never truly die. Mm. Um, there is only one war. It's it's the closest this song gets to attaching any kind of mythological or, cosmo or, or, or cosmological dimension um, to it at all. Um, I think if it... I almost feel as though if it wasn't there, um, having the cosmological dimension is the thing that in my opinion, stops the song from merely being pornographic. I, I think there's another line later that, that kind of hints towards this as well, which is, you know, where, where, where it suggests that the, the angel of death is flying free. So again, you know, that, that's almost like it's some kind of entity, you know? Um, I thought that line was merely a reference to the fact that, um, of course, Joseph Mengele escaped. Yeah, I did, literally, of course, that's what it means. But in my mind, we should get onto this later. But let's talk about it now because we, we, we've we already broached the subject. In my mind, that was literally, you know, in my mind, when I, when I see that, when I hear that line, it is some kind of winged, winged hell beast, you know, with leathery, bat-like wings, enormous bat-like wings flying and escaping justice, you know. So, um, this is what I mean about, it's these tiny cosmological references yeah. or philosophical references that stop the song being merely pornographic. Yeah. Because without these tiny bits of existential reference, um, effectively what you've got is a song that describes a human rights atrocity that you can read about in a textbook and you can learn about more from, by, by reading a textbook. In the context of song lyrics, um, these are the only parts of it which enable us to think to ourselves, well, what is it all for? Um, whose design is this? Um, does it leave us with any hope for humanity at all? Mm. Um, and it also makes us reassess what we think of as the nature of good and evil. Um, that if you're into metal, um, you probably think that demons are something a bit fun. Mm. And you probably think that Satan is something to... Um, probably that you can have a bit of a laugh with. Um, in the context of, um, in the medieval world, um, Joseph Mengele would have been like a demon. In the context of the modern world, a demon would be like Joseph Mengele. Mm -hmm. In 12th century Europe, um, if you'd have wanted to have described a really evil person, you'd have said they're like a demon. Yeah, of course. In the 21st century, 
in the 21st century, if you wanted to describe, um, if you wanted to, to describe to a relatively sophisticated, not very superstitious person like me or you, um, well, what what's a demon like then? Well, you'd probably say like Joseph Mengele. Yeah, like a like a like a Nazi, like a Nazi yeah. doctor. Yeah, it, it, you're quite right. Doc, come on. I think we need to move on. We need to press on because we've still got plenty of lyrics to go. Let's move on to on to the is sure. it the second verse or the third the third verse? I think we can call this. Here we go. Pump with fluid inside your brain, pressure in your skull begins pushing through your eyes, burning flesh drips away, test of heat burns your skin, your mind starts to boil, frigid cold cracks your limbs, how long can you last in this frozen water burial, sewn together, joining heads, just a matter of time till you rip yourselves apart. Now, my only question here is, is it okay to glamorise the gore in the context of the subject matter. Right. Um, I have a pretty forthright statement to make about this. Yeah. Um, art, art should constantly strive for ways to say the unsayable or to communicate the uncommunicable. Um, the reason that there has never been, and there almost certainly never will be, a proper Holocaust movie um, is, and we, we talked about this a week or two ago in, in, in a completely different context. You can't put stuff, you, you can't put that stuff on screen. Mm. Um, I don't even think you could make a cast and crew work on it. Mm. Um, I, I don't think you could um, do harm to, I don't think you could potentially do harm to the mental health of the cast and crew by making them work on a production which depicted what took place during the events being described here. Mm -hmm. One of the contexts in which you can do it is within, and it's one of the things that extreme metal can do that almost no other medium can do. It provides a framework for talking about stuff like this. Yeah, to say the unsayable effectively. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, and it can do with noises, um, and with words and within a context that already exists. Um, so without having to resort to metaphor, without having to constantly cut away um, or be all arty and be all Steven Spielberg about it and leave it to your imagination. Um, extreme metal is, Amelia, is, is, is a medium which provides a framework for talking about stuff like this. And I don't think it's glamorizing. I think it's making use of the fact that extreme metal is the only medium in the world where you can do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I deliberately selected the word glamorise, you know, to, to, to play devil's advocate, really, to, you know, to provoke a response from you. Um, I, I don't think it's glamorising. Yeah. I, I think it is depi depicting it, you know, and, and, and to me, that's a totally different thing. Um, my answer, is it OK to glamorise go in this context? My answer is yes, it is, because through, through, what, other, through what other medium would it be? Would it be possible to even begin to discuss this kind of stuff? You know, um, let, you know, let let alone um, 
depict it and heaven forfend, you know, kind of make it entertaining at the same time. It's a weird contradiction, isn't it? Um, so um, I was put onto this track by an article, this, 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 this way of thinking, by an article I read about Django Unchained when mm. that came out a few years ago. And mm. um, one reviewer was appalled that someone had chosen, that, that Quentin Tarantino had chosen to approach the very serious subject of slavery in the context of an exploitation film. Sure. And the, the reviewer who was replying um, said, well, you're dealing with the most appalling piece of exploitation almost in human history. What better context for it than an exploitation film? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only the most nasty, most scurrilous exploitation film um, that would enable you to show the burnings, the brandings, the floggings, the castrations, the attacks by fierce dogs. Um, you can't put that stuff in a respectable film. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to make a film about the, the cruelties and depredations of slavery, um, at some point you're going to have to put that stuff in your film, um, and then you're never getting an Academy Award. Isn't it curious um, that? Isn't it curious that? No, through you know, exploitation cinema, you know, is the probably the most derided form of cinema, and yet it is the most unflinching at the same time. Yeah, and because. Difficult subjects like this, I think many people fear studying them and many people fear encountering them because in some ways they're worried that a part of it is going to rub off. Mm. Um, If you've already made peace with the fact that you're going to watch filth like I Spit on Your Grave or Cannibal Holocaust, um, or if you've already made peace with the fact that um, you're already far enough, you're already so far beyond the pale of acceptable, polite society, um, that you can go into filth like that, then you're also kind of, by definition, the kind of person who can take Holocaust studies seriously, who can understand the real, actual meaning of phrases like the abuse of women, Mm -hmm. like what that means, not being a bit rude to someone in the office, but, you know, and we're down this rabbit hole now, so let's go a bit further down into it. Um, for people who say that um, this is pornography and that this is using something such as the Holocaust or some other subjects we'll get onto all in good time um, for entertainment purposes, um, if there's something that's being exploited here, it's the medium of exploitation media. Uh, because our stuff, the stuff that the straight world hates, is the only stuff that is prepared to look these facts of history in the face and say, this is what happened and this is what they look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this is the this whole This is reality. what slavery looks like. This is yeah. what rape looks like. Yeah. No, you, you're absolutely right. Doc, let's do the uh, next little, next t- tiny little section of lyrics here. Only four lines. Millions laid out in their crowded tombs, sickening ways to achieve the Holocaust. Um, nothing really to say here apart from I always misheard that lyric. It's only actually now reading them that I, I realised it says it says crowded tombs. 
I always misheard it as Chronic Tombs. I don't know why. Because of, I suppose because of, of the track Chronics that Slade did previous. Of course, Crowded Tombs makes more sense because that's like a mass grave. Um, so it makes more sense in context. But yeah. I just always misheard it as Cryonic Tombs. Any, any, anything to say about these four lines, Doc? And I always, I always misheard it as seeking ways to achieve the Holocaust. Actually, yeah, actually I, I think I did as well. Seeking ways. Yes, you're right. I did. It could go either way, I suppose. Really, um, not 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 really much to say about those four lines. I, I don't imagine. Smelly death as it burns deep inside of you, a bassinate, eyes that bleed, praying for the end of your wide awake nightmare, wings of pain reach out for you, his face, his face of death staring down, your blood is running cold, injecting cells, dying eyes, feeding on the screams of the mutants he's creating. In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish the, the lyrics. Pathetic, harmless victims left to die. Rancid, angel of death, flying free. Um, the first thing I need to note here, I I had to look up the word abassinate. I did not know what it meant. Um, and what I found, I don't know what it means. What, what I found absolutely appalled me. Here we go. This is from Wikipedia. Um, abassination is a form of corporal punishment or torture in which the victim is blinded by having a red hot metal plate held before their eyes. So you put a piece of metal in front of somebody's face that is so hot it melts their fucking eyes. That is a bassination. Wow, what a fucking word, what a concept. What horror we are dealing with. Yeah. Here. Would you have any um, information about what culture that was traditionally practiced in? No, I, 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 did, I, I did dig a little bit, a little bit, trying to find some information about it. And the best that I could find was, you know, thought to have been originated during the Spanish Inquisition. But, but you know, that, that was kind of citation, right. need, citation needed. So nobody, nobody seems to know really, you know, where, where, where that originated sure. from. Um, but horrible, 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 there's, nonetheless. There's a lot of these, yeah. Um, there's a lot of these sort of very exotic corporal punishments. Mm. Um, completely by coincidence, I had the uh, the need to discover the meaning of the word immurement during the week. Oh, yes, um, which means uh, walling up, uh, walling up or imprisoning in a confined space whilst alive with the intention that death should be brought about by starvation, not by suffocation. Well, that's very, you know, as somebody who speaks um, a little bit of French, I, I recognise the origin of mur being wall, so immurement makes sense to me. Yeah, I yeah. can see it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's another one of these very exotic punishments that crops up in poetry and literature and folk myth 
Um, but there's probably only been four or five even debatable historical examples of it ever having occurring, uh, ever having occurred. Um, mm-hmm. There's a famous there's, there's a famous nun skeleton that was found walled up in an abbey in Lincoln, um, and another one in an abbey somewhere in southern France um, in the Pyrenees. Um, but there's, <clears throat> I think, the evidence is sketchy at best that any of these people were alive when they were immured. Right. Yeah. Um, there's certainly nothing like any historical evidence that it was a routinely practiced punishment. So I, I'm, um, I'm not precisely going to to say myth busted, um, but there are so many exotic forms of corporal punishment um, and torture that are ascribed to the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. Um, as far as we know, the Spanish Inquisition basically beat you until you confessed, and that turned out to be good enough for most people. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. No, no, no um, need to, no need to put a bucket on your stomach with a rat and then set fire to the bucket so that the rat gets <laughs> its way through your stomach. You know, what a waste of effort. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, mostly, they just beat the living fucking daylights out of you, and you, you, you cough up what they wanted to know. If it was some sort of church inquisition um, that had, had carried out that punishment or that method of torture, um, I think it might look a bit odd. Um, if they were to then present you in court, um, announcing that you'd freely confessed your sins. <laughs> yes. Uh, Why are his eyes melted out? With, yes, with melted eyes and, and a stomach eaten out by rats. Yes. A bit, uh, yes. yes. Dif- difficult to explain. Um, I'm, I'm kind of out of words, Doc. I, I'm, I'm so kind of, what's the word? I, 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 it's it, it, it's just such a relentless onslaught of misery. These lyrics, help me, doc. Help me, doc. I, I don't know what to right. say. In the context of this being a song by Slayer on an album by Slayer, um, I think in the end it absolutely succeeds in its aim. Um, yeah. And its aim is to answer the question: um, How far will you go? Yeah. And the answer is this far. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we will start our album with a song that invokes an experience so relentlessly fucking grim that if you think about it, you can really have severe depression. Um, So, I mean, let's take this seriously. In the middle of the Reagan era satanic panic, people were worried about, if you listen to heavy metal albums, the devil might possess your soul. Mm -hmm. There's no possibility that the devil will possess your soul if you listen to Judas Priest. Mm -hmm. If you listen to this song and and, and, and if you follow up, on the serious course of academic study, which it commends, you might find yourself suffering from real, actual depression. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, you're, um, you're quite right. And that, that, my friends, is when heavy metal dares to get dangerous. Yeah. That is when heavy metal really is as dangerous as people say it is. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, Doc. You know, I've heard this... I must have heard this song a thousand times, you know? Um... I know the lyrics back to front. I've never thought about the lyrics. And now, as part of this project that we're undertaking, I've been forced to sit down and think about the lyrics. And it has genuinely traumatised me. There you go. Yeah. Um, And I'm almost inclined to say, um, and I think we'll stop there. We can't stop there, Doc, because we've um, we've got the final part to do. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast, the, 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 the cheer-filled, happy, joyful 
experience that you've all come to know and love. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. But before we do that, some details. Writing credits for Angel of Death. Music by Jeff Hanneman. Lyrics by Jeff Hanneman. Um, Setlist. According to Setlist, this track was played by Slayer no less than 1,844 times, putting it in second position. So they played this motherfucker to death. I've never seen them live and them not play it. Let's put it that way. Uh, first played a place called The Moor in Seattle on, a, appropriately enough, I suppose, October the 31st, 1986. And the last play was a place called The Forum in Inglewood, um, which was the 30th of November, 2019, on their farewell tour. Come on then, Doc, give us some give us some final thoughts. It's been it's been pretty bleak and heavy. Normally, normally there is a part of the episode where we where, you know where, where we lose it and we're just laughing so much at the, at the ridiculousness of it all um, that, that it feels kind of joyful and, and fun. This has felt kind of heavy and depressing, no matter how brilliant the song is. Give us your thoughts, Doc. It does its job. Um, yeah. if, if people really want to believe that art can be dangerous and, people, and, and, and that art can affect you in an emotional way, um, I should point out to listeners that um, we felt the need to put back the recording of, of, of this episode. Um, we've taken a bit of a break um, from Satanic Vercast. Um, and if we hadn't pushed this episode back, um, we noticed that we're planning on recording it on Holocaust Remembrance Day, which might yeah. have appeared yeah. at least yeah. to have been in the most appalling taste. You're absolutely correct. Yes. If you want, if if you demand that your art means something, or that you attempt to convince people that your art means something, um, you mustn't be surprised if sometimes it affects you in some sort of emotional way. Mm. Um, I know people who claim to be deeply affected by the music of Elvis Presley, and I know people who claim to be deeply emotionally affected by the music of Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine those are the people who would say, Slayer, it's just noise, they can't play, they can't sing. Do we do this stuff to enjoy ourselves? Do we do this stuff to be entertained? Um, I suppose to go one deeper than that, why the hell do we do this to ourselves? Um, the pagan ritual of going to a Slayer show where you're likely to get hurt. Um, you're likely to get what most people will call superficial injuries. Um, <laughs> yes. Most people... If you walk out of a Slayer gig and you've been in the mosh pit and you don't at least have some cuts and bruises, you haven't done it right, motherfucker. We're into a world of stuff here that... Um, you have to be into to understand. Yeah. Um, and I think it's part of, I think it's part of the emotional journey. Slayer have never gone to a place this black before. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they go to a place quite this black ever again. I don't think they ever go to a place quite this dark. There is um, one track I can think of. They get close. There is one track I can think of, another Jeff Hanneman classic. Um, called SS3. We'll come to that. Sure, but I mean, 
even that um even that has an element of rebel heroism i, I mean at, at, at least you can make a war film out of the subject of that track yeah. um it's still grim and it's still about nazis but it, it's it's still <laughs> it's still got a message of hope <laughs> yeah. um it's yeah. um it's still got some brave fighters and some rebel heroes in it yeah yeah um and um, at least the Nazi colonel ends up dead at the end of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the horrifying thing to take away about the, the, the ending of this song um, is that it, justice was not done. Um, Joseph Mengele got away um, effortlessly. He got to Brazil. Um, mm-hmm. He had a prosperous old age um, and apparently fathered some more children. Um, he eluded um, the attempts of the Israeli Secret Service to abduct him. Um, and I believe he is thought to have had a heart attack and drowned um, in his relatively advanced old age. The fact is, you mentioned the Khmer Rouge earlier on. Um, Pol Pot died relatively peacefully in his bed in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at people like Idi Amin, the ruler of um, Uganda in the 1970s, um, if you look at people from all over South America, um, if you want some concept of cosmological justice um don't study history um justice yeah. does not come to these people they get away with it um, yeah it, it 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 it's been a tough ride for me this uh doc um i love this song to pieces i did not expect to be kind of quite so emotionally affected by the dissection of the lyrics um but you know as as a a novice student of second of the second world war you know, I, I am, I am, you know, reasonably familiar with the atrocities that were committed, you know, more so than, you know, the average person whose concept of the Second World War is what they saw in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it, it's tough, but 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 I, I, I really, I, you know, you know, to get back kind of to the to, to the music analysis of, of, of the song as, 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 as a musical and lyrical piece, there's a, there's a step up here unquestionably i think jeff is clearly a student of his subject he knows what he's talking about and he deftly crafted something that really really encapsulated the true horror of what took place and that was his intent in that intent he was utterly utterly successful um as harrowing horrific grueling and traumatic as it is, he achieved what he set out to achieve. And, and for that, I doff my cap. Chapeau, as my French friends would say. Chapeau, Jeff. Hannah. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm going to wind up now. Um, <clears throat> another thing that we rely on our exploitation auteurs to do for us is to go places and to do things so that we don't have to do them ourselves. Um, you don't necessarily want to spend any time in the mind of a maniac. Um, this has been enough Holocaust scholarship for you. Um, honestly, nobody will think the worst of you um, if you now decide to put the subject down. If you decide to pursue it, um, there are many excellent textbooks on the subject. Um, the Holocaust, the Jewish tragedy, um, is the good one to start. Um, but people, if anyone was listening to this, 
don't take it lightly. Um, this stuff is not fun. Um, make sure you're in a good place emotionally um, before you start reading. Make sure you know when to back out and do something else because, um, and I'll, I'll say this, um, it's been a long time since 1945, but the Holocaust has by no means finished with its ability to take human life. There you go, Doc. Wow. And on that note, we now have to do the very trivial task of assigning a score. I know it seems utterly irrelevant based on the conversation we've had, but hey, that's the format of the show. What are we going to do? Um, so, Doc, give, give us I a score. It's irrelevant at all. I mean, I'll, I'll, I will unhesitatingly give it 10. Yeah. Um, yeah it's just unhesitatingly give it 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, yeah. Based uh, on? I mean, um, four things, one after another. Um, we've talked about the lyrics enough. The lyrics do not fuck around. Um, if you want your heavy metal intense and if you want your heavy metal dangerous, as into your personal health, then start here. Yeah. Um, musically... It's such a statement of intent. New label, new era, new album, first song off the album. Um, it's There's no song by any band that says as clearly, we have now arrived at something approaching the peak of our powers. We mm -hmm. now have the ability to do everything we ever imagined. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, number three, <clears throat> Slayer moving completely beyond... Um, I'm going to go back to that thing right at the beginning, the, 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 the burying of the Halford, uh, the Halford whale right at the beginning. This is Slayer completely stepping out of the shadow um, of their contemporaries um, and their forebears and the people they've learned from and emulated um, up to this point. There's three distinct points on this album, uh, on the song, where they strike out in a uniquely Slayer direction, oft copied, never bettered, um, so um, the the morbid harmonies um, in the lead lines, the ability, and it, we, I think we got it right earlier on. However odd it seems, given the context of Russell Simmons' involvement with Def Jam Records and being surrounded by people like Beastie Boys and Public Enemy, um, the unbelievable ability for thrash metal to sound black, to sound funky, to be groovy. Yeah. And just an absolutely unparalleled combination or uh, combination of musicianship and production skills. That it doesn't so much feel like Slayer hired a producer. It's, it feels like Slayer got a fifth member. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and, and you know, I, I I echo your ten out of ten. It's it, it. There's no question. It's it's ten, isn't it? There is no question. I mean, musically, it's 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 just it's awesome. It's epic. It's got the groove. It's rip your face off, thrash, evil evil melodies, evil harmonies. That that awesome um, drum solo, well, solo, but you know, kind of drum fill right near the end. Yeah. And then the crate and the crazy soloing. Um, the ambition, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's a five-minute song. It's five minutes of, of relentless intensity. Never gets boring. Um, it, it's a, it is a masterpiece. Harrowing, haunting, tormenting. It, it just does everything it sets out to, out to do. It's a masterpiece, Doc. It's fucking brilliant. 
Um, yeah, and yeah, what have we got next? Yeah, so join us next time, guys, when we will be discussing the second track from Rain in Blood, which is entitled Peace by Peace. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Doc.